Okay, so we've got a few different uh, text messages coming through here. Let's see what we've got. Uh, The Hero Dog of the Year. Let's talk about the Hero Dog of the Year. Yes. Boone. Boone. Boone the Hero Dog. Uh, Have you considered what an amazing life most family dogs live? Mm. Looks like the love of the family completely changed this one. You guys guys stole my line. It reminded me of the redemption story. Oh, that's powerful. Yeah, it was. It was a great (laughs) redemption story. And, you know, I'd just encourage everybody to uh, jump on to YouTube from time to time. Mm. And look at some of these stories about of, of rescue dogs. Yeah, and see where they come from. See how you know, just completely destroyed their lives are, and how radically their lives turn around, and they become such happy little creatures mm. uh, when they when they when they start to experience some true love in their lives. Mm. And uh, you know, if when when you see that, you will see what Lawson and I see working in ministry when we find people who are in exactly the same shape as, you know, these dogs that have been abused and trashed and mm. just sort of become the outcasts of the world. And when we see the power of the gospel change those lives and when those people experience the love of God, how radically it changes their lives. Mm. I'll never forget the experience of, um, you know, sharing the gospel with a, a, a young lady one time um, who you know actually worked in the world's oldest um, uh, job, so to speak. Oh, okay. And uh, you know, coming back six months later for her, being invited back six months later for her baptism and not being able to recognise who she was in the church. Wow. And sort of thinking, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be baptising this person today, and they haven't turned up yet. They were actually standing in front of me, leading out in the song service. Wow. It's just it was it has a story that has never left me. Just how dramatically mm. the gospel changes a person's life. Anyway, let's. Uh, so what else we got here? Uh, the Roman Catholic Church bishops. Have you read the Great Controversy? Maybe the whole world should read it. You know, I read the book The Great Controversy when I was fifteen years old, and it was as a result of reading that book that I began to study the Bible. It was wow. what led me to the Bible, um, and which which led me to Jesus Christ. Completely turned my life around. Talk about prophetic book on the last days. I know quite a few people who are staying home. It seems they are comfortable by watching church on Facebook. Some churches may not be as friendly as they should. COVID divided many people. Uh, The bishops always like to have preeminence wherever they go, the centre of attention on the world stage, just like the Catholic Church in the Book of Revelations. And the whole world worship the beast. Praise the Lord that there will be a remnant that will only worship God. Mm. And this is a really important point that uh, our, our text has brought out here: is that a church can't save you. Mm. It's only Jesus can save you. A church right. can't get you to heaven. That's right. There's no church that has been to heaven. A church leader can't save you because they haven't been to heaven either. They didn't die for you. No, <laughs> none of that. Yeah. Uh, the only person who can save you is Jesus Christ. Mm. Uh, Marlita, you surely used the gift that God gave you to his glory. I truly appreciate your music. What you do is actually evangelism in song. So many young people and older people will will and are reached by music, where sometimes a sermon may not. God does not give anyone an excuse not to be reached by him and his love. Mm. And then they've given, a, well, they've misspelt uh, Marlita's name and then they've had another shot at it and misspelt it again. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um. Yeah. Anyway, uh, let's see here. Let's see how we go with um 
our Bible study this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, we are in the book of Deuteronomy. We're going to go, go there right now. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 29. Let's go. I just opened straight up to it. You, uh, you know, it's been interesting. We, we're nearly ending Deuteronomy when we're still in, like, chapter 4. Yeah. Dude, we haven't even got... Dude, the last chapters are my favourite. <laughs> That's, like, the best part. I hope we're not going to miss out on them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Surely we'll do them. But oh, there's, like, all kinds of stuff that happens in the middle, too. Um, there's lots of talking there. So, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, and we're in verse 29. Nine. That's right. But from there, you'll search again for the Lord your God. And if you search for him with all your heart and soul, you will find him. There you go. This is is a passage that is repeated in a number of different places in the Mm. Bible. And it's something that, you know, when I read this passage, it reminds me of some people that I've met that say, yeah, I tried Christianity, it didn't work for me, so I moved on. Yeah. And the Bible says, but... From there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart mm. and with all your soul. Trying out Christianity is not a matter of just rocking up to church for a few weeks in a row. Yes. And spending a little bit of time re- reading the Bible. Mm. If you want to really receive the benefits of Christianity and experience what Jesus has to offer, the Bible says to search for him with all your heart. Yeah. To make it a priority. Mm-hmm. And not just to treat it as a casual sort of dip my toe in the water mm. and see what happens. That's not that's not how you find Christianity. That is not what Christianity is about. I've heard it said like this. Um, it's There's a phrase and it's, it's justification is the work of a moment. And it's essentially like you can experience the, the love of God and you, you kind of have a light switch moment where all of a sudden you realize, bam, it's like the lights get turned on and you're like, God loves me yes. and cares for me deeply. Yes. Um, but it's, but the reality is, is like to have that moment, there is just a level of, you know, not effort that you need to put in because it, it can happen anyway. You hear about the drunkard on the street. Like literally I've heard that story before. Pastor Justin Lawman, who has gone on to do great things for God, he's like, his story is like, oh yeah, I, I grew up a Christian, left the church, and then I was drunk on the street one day and got handed a book by Ellen White who we were talking about before. And it was like, the lights got switched on and it was steps like- Steps to Christ. Steps to Christ. And he's like, wow, God loves me. And his life radically changed after that. Um, but that was the thing is that there was there was a, a moment there of just, you know, radical confession, uh, radical opening up to God rather than just steeping himself in full skepticism and just and it, it, because you can even prolong the period of time that you quote unquote try out Christianity. You can you can be doing that for a year. You can be doing that for two years. I've seen people do that, and then ultimately come to a conclusion that that's not for them. But there, but it can happen in a lot shorter time where you come to those conclusions. But I think that it takes you know like not effort or work, but rather an actual surrender. Yes. To say like, okay, God, like I'm going to fully give everything to you for this moment to see if you can work in my life. And I feel like that's that's when those that experience happened because yeah, as I said before, justification is the work is the work of a moment, you know. But sanctification is the work of a lifetime. That's right. And you've never experienced Christianity until you've experienced sanctification. Mm. You've never experienced, you know, you, you've tasted grace, but you've just had a slight 
tip of it on your tongue with justification. Sanctification is where grace really transforms your life and makes you into a new person. And, you know, the old is gone and the new is now alive. The old man dies and the new man lives. It's a fantastic thing. And that's what happens. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. I don't know where our Bible study is going today, but so many, like, my, my synapses are firing, you know, so many thoughts in my brain. I'm like, oh, we could talk the, about the parable of the sower and the seeds, and we could talk about this, and, and, and just this this whole experience that people have of, of you know, their Christian journey and when it works and when it doesn't work. Yes, yeah, so I never, I did not think of the sower and the seeds in relationship to this. Yeah, well, you know, you think it, it talks about the different seeds falling on the different ground and which ones, and it, that's a representation of people having a conversion experience and when it, you know, in different circumstances it flourishes and in other different circumstances it doesn't. And in some, and, and again, in some circumstances people have that experience where they become, you know, Christians become followers of God for life. And But other people, it says that they get choked out by the cares of the world. It says that, that the word of God doesn't get rooted deeply in their life. You know, it gives a bunch of reasons why... Um, people don't end up making a full sacrifice and commitment of their life to Christianity um, or, you know, to God, to Jesus ultimately. And so I think that, ah, it's it's so, it's so interesting. Um, Yeah, it is. It's one of those things that you, um, you know, we're just looking at the parable of the sower and the seeds is that that parable doesn't come to an end the moment the seed lands on the ground. That's right. That parable comes to an end when the seeds grow to their full potential mm. and bear their full potential of fruit. That's right. Mm-hmm. And anybody who's been involved in agriculture know that, knows that that's a period of time. Mm. And you get these people that, you know, they try Christianity and they're like, yeah, I tried Christianity, went to church for a few weeks and wasn't for me. Are uh, like, well, the seed dropped on the ground, but you didn't actually give it a chance to grow. You didn't water it. Yeah. You didn't put it in sunlight. Like... You know, it's 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 a process. It's a it's a period mm. of time, and sanctification and justification they're both equally just a part, just as much a part of salvation as each other. Mm. You know, some people our, our, some, amongst our evangelical friends, there are those who will just say, "Well, you know, justification is salvation. Sanctification is a good idea." <laughs> I'm dead serious. Dude, yeah, no, it sounds I, bizarre. No, it know. sounds bizarre. But I come across people who believe that, and I'm thinking, no, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's right. The Bible puts both of these together. In fact, what's interesting is that if you do a word study on grace, uh-huh. and we're getting way sidetracked off of where our Bible study is supposed to go, but as you say, it just one of these subjects that starts your synapses sparking and yeah. away it goes. Uh, but if you do a word study on grace, and I challenge anybody to do this sometime and make three lists. Mm-hmm. And in those three lists, what you're going to do is you're going to put in one column all the verses that just speak of grace in a very, um, I guess, non-specific way. Mm-hmm. You know, may the grace of God and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with us, be, be with you all. Amen. Mm-hmm. It's not telling you anything about grace. Put all of those verses in one column. Mm-hmm. Then... Read all of the passages where grace refers to justification. Now, Lawson and I have been sitting here talking about justification. Some of you are probably thinking, what do those words mean? Uh, very simply, justification is forgiveness. Mm. Sanctification is holiness. Mm-hmm. 
So Jesus forgives you of your sins, and then he converts you. Another word for sanctification is conversion. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus changes you and makes you like him. Um, one way of uh, looking at that, just so that you can remember what the terms mean, is justification, just as if I'd never done it. Mm-hmm. Sanctification, saint-ified, mm-hmm. turned into, you know, converted. And so you put these, you put these concepts together. And this is um, this is this is this is you know um, you you can't separate them. So you 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 make your three columns. Column number one: all of those verses that use grace in a completely non-committal way. They're not telling you anything about grace. They're just using the word. Column number two: put there all of the verses where grace refers to justification. Mm-hmm. Forgiveness of sin. Column number three, put all the verses where grace refers to conversion, sanctification, holiness, your life being changed. Yes. And guess which column is going to be vastly longer than all the others? Well, assuming, you know, by the point that you're trying to make and the flow of this this conversation because you've never done this before. No, well, I'm I'm gonna guess that it's it's probably get this. It might be the third one. It's the third <laughs> by a very very wide margin. And this is what fascinates me because you know I can go into a Christian bookshop and I can see you know book after book after book about grace. Yeah, and it's always like radical grace that forgives you and and hold you to no account and like that's every conversation you have about it you know and so few of those books if any are focusing on the grace that sanctifies you mm. the grace that makes you holy the grace that changes you and and, and in that i see an element of human nature mm. we want to serve god we we want to sorry we want to receive the benefits of serving god mm-hmm. Without changing. Yeah. And we think that somehow we can give our lives to Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's great. I've been forgiven of my sins. I don't need to change anything. Continue on with my life as is. Mm. And think that we're going to receive the benefits of Christianity. It's no wonder so many people try Christianity. It does nothing for them. So just move on. And, and this is the thing as, as well, because I think that, like, that, you know, a lot of Christians will make this point and. But if you go out into the street and and ask someone like, oh, you know, who do you think like what's what's your favorite kind of Christian or who do you think like the best Christians were? Like this is this is, if you go, if you ask someone in the street like, are there any Christians? Maybe they're like an atheist, maybe they're like an agnostic or a, a non-believer. It's like who do you think is a really great Christian? Um, and they'll either say someone like Martin Luther King Jr. or Mother Teresa, or they will say, oh, well, there was this like lady or this couple who lived down the road from me, he used to bring me something, you know, he used to give me food. Or, there, you know, there was this one couple that grew up next to me. Like, they always give examples of people who did things, who put their faith into action mm-hmm. to actually help people. And I think that that's like the crazy thing. It's like the worst kind of Christian and follower of Jesus you can be is one that does nothing. And it seems as though so many Christians want to advocate for for receiving grace from God and then doing absolutely nothing with it and not changing. And it's like, it's sad to hear because it's like God has called you to so much more. Like God has called for change in your life. And, and uh, you know, we... 
Lyle and myself, like you and me, we don't sit here as, as perfect people than saying like, oh, we're killing it because our works, the things that we do won't save us either. No, like, not at all. Even if I become Mother Teresa overnight or whatever it is, like, no, like that's not going to sa- save me either. Just because you do good things doesn't mean that you're a saved person. Those good things that you do are evidence that you're a saved person. That's right. And this is why sanctification and justification can never be separated from each other. Mm. Because the moment that justification happens, sanctification begins, Mm -hmm. if that is genuine justification. Yes. And uh, we give our lives to Jesus Christ and he begins to change us. Interesting coming through here on the text message, as long as life is doing okay, most people in this world have no time for God. But as soon as Mm. their world turns into a mess, they have time for God and really seek his help. The amazing thing is that God helps them, and when the crisis ends, they forget all about him. I know I did it myself before I became a true believer, or a truer believer, but God still gives us other chances. Please accept one of them. And finishing off uh, with, I am still a work in progress. Then we've got another text message coming through here from Sky, who simply says, "Faith without works is dead." Mm. If you're going to have, if you're going to have uh, justification without sanctification, the justification is dead. My my favorite example is when Paul says, "Imitate me as I imitate Christ," and it's like, okay, well, let's have a look at the life of Paul, someone who wrote on grace and justification, yes. a lot. You know, it's a major theme. Totally. And it's like, you, then you go to, like, so that, that verse, imitate me as I imitate Christ, is from 1 Corinthians 11. You go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and you read about the life that he led and how he was beaten by his countrymen and he was wrecked at sea for three days. And, and he says, you know, five times I was beaten, three times I was scourged. Uh, my bones are weary and broken and aching. And he gets down to the bottom and it's like, I did it all for the sake of Christ. Like he did this so that the, the, the mission of the church, and that is to spread the message of Jesus and his justification in the way that he can save people, could spread. And and he says, so imitate me, then as I imitate Christ. And what did Christ do? Well, he gave his life for the world. And so ultimately, coming back, it's like, you know, we we're called to be more than we are for Christ, which is an incredible opportunity um, and a blessing. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Um, but let's go to the Word of God, and, and and this is what this book is advocating for. So 0491-064-669 is the number to call if you know the answer. And again, that question was, which of the churches of Revelation did Jesus criticize for tolerating that woman Jezebel? Sky says, I admit there are times I feel like, why, why am I here? Mm. Everyone lives their own life, and it gets lonely. Mm. However, I'm reminded that... Primary job is to reach others for their salvation, if that is all I accomplish, even one life. I would like to think that perhaps that is a successful life. Well, that's for sure. Amen. That is like the best text we've read today. That yes. Is like Finish the- it off. We can't take any possessions when we go to the big sleep. Yes. But the one thing of value will be the lives that are changed through our witness. I'm just wow. adding that on the end right there. Yeah. It is the text of the day that right there. Epic text of the day text from Sky. Dude. Praise the Lord for you, Sky. That is awesome. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Mm. All right. So today we're going to be talking about, let's get to our actual Bible study. <laughs> we, we, got started on our, we got started on our first verse, and it just kind of just, derailed everything. It derailed everything. But in a good way, I in, think. In a fantastically good way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are going to talk about the word O. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no, we're not. We're, we're going to talk about me yitten. Me yitten. Which is not my kitten, it's me yitten. Which is the Hebrew word for. Well, me is who. Uh huh. Right? Yitten means will give. Oh. So it means who will give. Me uh-huh. yitten. Uh huh. Means who will give. Uh huh. And do you know how that is translated into English? Don't tell me it's O. It's translated as O. <laughs> Let me give you some examples of this, because this is going to do you heaven. Go to Job chapter 6 and verse 8. Oh, okay, okay. I hope we've got time for all these. Job 6 and verse 8. In fact, I'm going to go there myself because I'll give it to you from the KJV. Job 6 verse 8. All right, go for it when you get there. Um, I, I think I'm a little bit away. Hold on. Okay, let me read it from the KJV then. Oh, that I might have my request that God would grant me the thing that I long for. The word O oh, there, O oh, that I might have my request, is the word meyitten, which simply is who will give. Yeah, mine my, my says the same thing. Um, there you go. In verse 8, O oh, that I might have my request that God may grant my desires. Go to Psalms 14 verse 7. Okay, Psalm... Another example over here in Psalms 14, verse 7. Uh, in Psalm 14, verse 7. Oh, I, I received some feedback recently, Lyle, actually, mm-hmm. about your mm-hmm. consistent bashing of the NLT mm-hmm. from someone who came to God through reading the NLT Bible. Mm. And they said that they love Jesus and they, they <laughs> learned to love him by reading the NLT. So That's right. I learned to love Jesus by reading the NIV. And I'd take the NLT over the NIV any day. <laughs> All right. So 14 and verse... Uh, let's go to 14 verse 7. The Bible says, Who will come from Mount Zion to rescue Israel? When the Lord restores his people, Jacob will shout with joy and Israel will rejoice. Okay, so yeah, yours yours is closer to me, Yitten, who will give. Yeah. This is who, who will come. Mm-hmm. Mine simply says, Oh, that the salvation of Israel were to come out of Zion. Mm. When the Lord brings back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be Glad. Mm. So why is who will give translated as O in the Bible? Is that like an old-timey language thing? It is, very much so. It's an idiom. Yes. An idiom has no relationship to an idiot, (laughs) except that, except that, some of them it's are a dumb. statement. It's a statement. If you read a definition of an idiom, it's a statement that makes no sense, except in the context of the language. Mm-hmm. So it's a group of words. An idiom is a group of words established by usage as having a meaning not deducible from those of the individual words. Okay. And give some examples here, like over the moon. Yeah. You know, if you're talking to somebody that only speaks Korean and uh, that your, your, your English is being translated to them and you talk about being, yeah, you know what, I'm over, over the moon about that and they translate that, say, into Korean, the Korean person who doesn't speak a word of English is going to be like, what on earth are you talking about? Mm. And Australians in particular, we tend to have a whole bunch of idioms. We use them all the time. Uh-huh. Idioms used by... Idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of an idiotic phrase. Yeah. You know, over the moon is an idiotic phrase because mm. no one is going to jump over the moon. No. But we understand what it means mm-hmm. because of usage. Yes. Um, the meaning of over the moon means happy. Yes. But that is not deducible from the words over the moon. That's Or right. the way in which they are Put together, and that's exactly what me is when we read it in 
the Bible. Uh, let me just see here. Biblical Hebrew, like most languages, is sprinkled with idioms when specific words are used to mean something different from what they actually say. Uh-huh. One idiom in the Old Testament is meyitin. Me is the question who, and yitin means will give. So literally, meyitin is who will give. In the Old Testament, however, the phrase expresses the idea of a wish, mm. of a desire, of something, someone wanting something badly. Oh, wow. So, for instance, when the children of Israel wanted to go back to Egypt, they were like, you know, oh, that we could go back to, you know, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. It's like, who will give? They're using mm. this, who will give us death in the land of Egypt kind mm. of thing. It's that kind of a concept. Okay, now let's go to Deuteronomy. Oh, we're, we're squeezing our whole Bible verse into one section here today. Okay. Our whole Bible study. Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 29. In 5 and verse 29, the Bible says, Oh, that they would always have hearts like this, that they might fear me and obey my commands. If they did, they and their descendants would prosper forever. Okay, so me yitten, uh, which is translated as oh, which means who will give, mm. expresses the concept of a deep yearning mm. in the Bible. A deep yearning is what you're looking at right here. Uh, and and so by asking, you know, who will give, it's like, I need this, who will give it? And over time it simply comes to mean a deep yearning. Mm. And so how does that how does that actually affect what we what we read here? What does it what does it mean that, you know, this particular verse begins with me yitten? Mm. Who will give? A yeah. deep yearning. And, and 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 oh, like, you know, it's English translation, it's it's kind of making it not comical, but almost yeah, it's it's really injecting life into this phrase mm. where it's like, oh, like like it's it's in, in, in it's making it more intense. It's adding emphasis. Oh, that they would always have hearts like this, so they might um fear and obey all my commands if they did the descendants would prosper like um it's god's intense that's right desire for his people and this mm. is god's intense desire for you today mm. his intense desire for you is that you'll always keep his commandments and always experience the good that comes from keeping his commandments and following him mm. so that you may prosper so that you for may your prosper. own good you're listening to the breakfast show podcast on faith fm positively different but right now it is time for Question of the Day. All right, Question of the Day. This comes in from a listener. His name's Thomas, and he says, Please explain what is the meaning of the monstrance symbol in the Catholic Church and why and when they extended Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Okay, so there's kind of two questions here. I'm actually going to start with the second one first, um, which is why and when did they extend Matthew twenty-eight nineteen? So if we go to Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, the Bible says, "Go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit." And of course, you've got a, a, a fairly modern movement these days that comes amongst modalists, anti-Trinitarians. Um, Muslims, etc., to say that this was this passage was actually added to the Bible, and so we need to look at the evidence for this. Now, if you look at the Vaticanus Sinaiticus, which are the two oldest uh, manuscripts that we have of the New Testament, you do not find these words. 
But that shouldn't be unusual because in those two particular manuscripts, there are a lot of words that you do not find mm-hmm. um, for a number of reasons. Number one is that these were somewhat abridged versions of the uh, New Testament in some ways because you know there's just a whole bunch of stuff that has been left out. The the other thing that um, is important in relationship to these manuscripts is that they're not complete. You know, there's fragments that are missing, there are bits missing here and there. And so what we find is that in every ancient manuscript that exists that com- that contains the whole of Matthew ch- chapter 28, in other words, all of the words that are in Matthew 28, so every ancient manuscript that exists that contains all, all of the words of Matthew 28, or you know, as in it doesn't have pieces of the page missing, it has these words within it. Mm-hmm. That's our first point. The second point is that the Vaticanus and the Sinaiticus, these were manuscripts that were put together by Eusebius uh, in the 3rd and 4th century. Uh, they have a very, very dodgy heritage. Mm-hmm. We probably don't have time to go into detail on the background to these, but they were basically manuscripts that were compiled by men uh, such as Oregon who believed that nothing in the Bible was actually true, Mm. that none of the stories ever actually happened. You didn't believe in Adam and Eve and creation and all that kind of stuff. These are guys that specifically taught that paganism needs to be blended with Christianity and that... um, and that all of the stories of the Bible were purely allegorical. Mm. They're just there to teach you know, vague spiritual lessons and so forth. And so you don't give a whole lot of credibility to the manuscripts that they put together. All right, so those are the first couple of points. The second couple of points is this. While the Vaticanus Sardiaticus, which are two manuscripts, might not contain these words, they are not the only evidence we have because we also have evidence from the early translations. So if you look at translations such as the Peshitta, the Italic, the Ge'ez, the Celtic translations, these are all 1st and 2nd century translations which predate the Vaticanus Sinaiticus, and they all contain these words Mm. in all of these different languages, translated in all of these different countries. That's the next line of evidence. The next line of evidence you're going to find is this, and and, and what people fail to realize is that when translators are translating the Bible, they think that they translate it, you know, they just look at, you know, ancient manuscripts, translate it into, you know, the modern language, whatever that modern language might be. But a very important part of translation is not just translating ancient manuscripts, but also looking at where those manuscripts are quoted by early church writers and looking for evidence within those early church writers of the existence of you know these particular passages you can go all the way back to the 1st century and you're going to find early church writers who are using Matthew chapter 28:19 as we find it in the bible and these early church writers are once again they are predating the Vaticanus the Sinaiticus the Alexandrinus the next thing that we need to note is the Vaticanus and the Sinaiticus are only two manuscripts and the Alexandrinus but we don't really have much of that one left um, these are only these. This is what's called the minority text because there's just a few. Of them. There are literally thousands of ancient manuscripts in existence that differ from the Sinaiticus Vaticanus, and that's what we call the majority text. 
And the majority text comes from a much better background. It actually comes from the majority text of the Greek manuscripts come from a background where they believed in salvation by grace. They believed in the Bible alone. They were a missionary enterprise. They were based out of Antioch. And uh, they were basically Bible-believing Christians rather than what was taking place in the in the West where they were saying, you know, we need to blend uh, paganism and Christianity together. So if you go to those Eastern manuscripts, those majority texts where they actually believed the Bible, that is where you find Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, in its completion. It's a very weak argument to base the omission of a couple of words of the Bible from a couple of ancient manuscripts that don't have great credibility in the first place. So our oldest manuscripts, because it talks about our oldest manuscripts, our oldest manuscripts that are older than those are very, very fragmentary and don't actually even contain those the last pages of Matthew. Mm. So you've really got to build an argument from silence to get rid of those particular passages. So even even those couple of dodgy ones can contain it. Anyway, uh, when you get good manuscripts and poor manuscripts that both agree with each other, that's a pretty powerful argument right mm-hmm. there. Okay, as you go through this day, don't forget to spend some time with Jesus. Spend some time in his word. That's where you need to go. You need to be reading the word of God. You need to know what the Bible says. You need to apply it in your lives. When you know what the Bible says, you know what the truth is. It is that simple. And, of course, as uh, we like to remind you every morning, uh, we want to encourage you to talk faith, live faith, act faith. As a result, you will grow strong in Jesus Christ. God be with you till we meet again. God be with you till we meet again. By his counsel's guide uphold you, with his sheep securely fold you. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.